Welcome back to the Grace Life Fellowship Podcast. Today we will be continuing Pastor Frank's series, Live Free, a study of Galatians. If you haven't already heard the beginning of the series, I would suggest going back to episode two before continuing. Today's message is called, We Are Justified Freely. Here's Pastor Frank. At an anti-slavery rally held in Massachusetts in 1852, Wendell Phillips made this declaration. Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Did you hear it? Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Those who want to live in freedom have to be on guard against those who would seek to rob us of our freedom and put us back into bondage. In our study of Galatians, if you've been with us this last couple of weeks, we are seeing this threat against freedom played out on these pages before our very eyes. There are those, and there are many of them out there, who are vehemently seeking to rob us of our freedom in the spirit that Jesus purchased for us and put us back under the bondage of the law. Fortunately, on these pages, we're not only seeing the vigilance to be aware of that threat, but the tenacity and fortitude to do something about it. On these pages, we're seeing a man fight for our freedom. And in the process, we are learning from him how we too are to fight. Galatians chapter 1 was very clear. Our Lord Jesus Christ secured for us in his once and for all finished work on the cross, affirmed by his resurrection from the dead and ascension into glory, that we were free. When he went back to heaven, what did he do, friends? He sat down. Don't read that casually. The victory's won. There's no more battle to secure our freedom. But he sent his Holy Spirit at that point to appropriate that finished work and to empower us to live this life abundantly that we had been given. Galatians 5.1, which we'll get to in about a year, (laughs) is our theme verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom with which Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In Christ, we have been made free. We're free from our past. I hope you know it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like that because as Juan Carlos Ortiz says, the enemy made Xerox copies of our past and uses them against us. But in the eyes of God, we have no past but the past of Jesus himself. We've been set free from our failures. They don't define us anymore. We've been set free from guilt. Where's the amen corner on that one? Okay, thank you. Come and sit up here. The rest of you, get in the back. We've been set free from our shame. You know, there's a lot of times in my life I feel shame. But I don't bear any. Isn't that glory? 
Our emotions are not lining up with the reality of the finished work of Christ. And that becomes a challenge, which one we're going to believe. The way we feel or the cross. We've been set free from condemnation, free from the power of sin, free from the law as a means of gaining acceptance with God, free from the system of performing, which means we're, because we're free from the standard, we're now free to take our eyes off ourselves and how well we're doing in accomplishing the standard. We're free from the lie of the garden that in our own resources, one day we could try hard and become as God. We've also been set free to free to the economy of grace, free to fix our eyes on God, and therefore free to receive from him the riches of Christ, free to be what we're created to be, which is the dwelling place of God. Jesus said it is finished, and he meant it. And so in Galatians chapter 1, we saw that freedom has been secured for us. Hallelujah. And then came the religionists, the legalists, the Judaizers, to going, oh, oh, no, it's not finished. There's more to be done, and it needs to be done by you. Though they name the name of Jesus as their Savior, their claim is that in order to be really saved, in order to be really experiencing God, you need to be circumcised, and you need to follow the law of Moses. And in doing that, they were actually, we saw, reversing the gospel, taking us away from Jesus 180 degrees back to Moses. They wanted to lead the church away from the simplicity of Jesus to the complexity of the law. They wanted to lead the church away from relationship and back to rules, away from a person, back to principles, away from receiving, back to achieving. Jesus has secured our freedom. End of discussion. But that freedom has to be protected and preserved. So on the pages of Galatians, there's going to be a fight. It's a fight that had to be fought. It's a fight that had to be won. And the Apostle Paul stepped up to fight that fight. We saw it in chapter 2. He went to the Jerusalem Council, kind of like a Supreme Court. And he argued tenaciously and won a verdict. A precedent was now set. Case law had now been established. Men are saved by grace alone through faith. Neither circumcision nor the law of the Moses shall be placed upon the believer's requirement for sanctification or salvation. Yeah. So the battle was over. And then we came to the middle of Galatians 2. And the sobering reality that the battle is never over. Paul and I had to fight with the apostle Peter. Peter? What did he do? Well, Peter was enjoying his liberty, chowing down on foods that had been unclean in an Old Testament economy, but God himself had declared them clean in the New Covenant economy. He was having a great time. And then came the religionists, the legalists, the Judaizers. As I poured over those pages, I could almost see them in my mind. Can you see them? My friends, if you've been in church for any length of time, let's be honest, you've seen them. The religious clothes, the angry scowls, the tight lips, the glaring eyes, the ugly whispers, condemnation just oozes from them. Oh, never for themselves. Only for others who don't do it the way they do it. And Peter's one of those others. And so Peter fell prey 
to their judging him. And he turned his back on his brothers and sisters in Christ. He forsook his blood-purchased freedom. And if that were not bad enough, he left all that crab, oysters, crawfish, shrimp, and lobster. He left all that crab, oysters, crawfish, shrimp, and lobster. He went back to the lifeless law. How could he do that? Very easily. There's a very powerful four-letter word in the English language. It's called fear. Fear will keep you up at night. He was afraid of what people would think. And it wasn't just Peter. It was Barnabas, too, and, and lots of others. And, and so we've got to understand Proverbs 29. It says, the fear of man brings a snare. Please, please hear me, my friends. The fear of man is a powerful force. I've shared in the lives of so many people over the years who have acted so out of character and done horrible, horrible things just to keep from being rejected by someone. They've told me, I, I really didn't want to do that, but I knew they wouldn't accept me if I didn't. And that's why it's so important, my friends, to not only understand, but tenaciously believe and courageously stand in the glory of what it means to be in Christ. That in Christ, we have been made right. So right that the righteous one of the universe can come and live inside of us. And that knowing we are right will enable us to stand against the opinion of any man that would try to declare us wrong because we don't do life the way they do and follow their little religious rules. Fortunately, Peter had a friend. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. When one is weak, the other can be strong. How I many of you know we all need that? There's not a one of us that's as strong as we think we are. And we are one, one act of the will from doing something so out of character of who we are. Well, Paul's, Peter's strong friend was Paul. And Paul stood strong, and as the proverb says, he ministered the faithful wound of a friend. And he led Peter out of his hypocrisy and, and back into freedom. And so again, the battle was won. And so now we come to chapter three. And there they are again. The religionists, the legalists, the Judaizers. This time they're leading the Galatians astray. They're turning their hearts away from the gospel of Jesus to another gospel that is not a gospel. There's no good news about it. Anytime you're led away from Jesus saying it is finished to, oh no, you've got to do more. That is not the gospel. And so fortunately, they too have a friend. His name is the Apostle Paul. And on these pages today, my friends, we're going to see him fight for them. And we're also going to see that in doing so, he fights against them. You know, sometimes when you fight for somebody, you have to fight against them because they're so locked in bondage. They don't see it. 
And he's going to fight hard. That's how it has to be, isn't it? You don't, if you're going to be in a fight, you don't fight half-heartedly. And the Galatian believers needed to win this fight. And so let's turn to Galatians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at the first 14 verses. We're going to break it down into two very simple arguments that Paul is going to present. First of all, the argument from their personal experience, verses 1 through 5. Their experience of Jesus and what he meant to them. And then secondly, the argument from the prophetic word, verses 6 through 14, where he's going to argue from Scripture that their experience was biblical. Let's pray. Father, ever since the resurrection, this fight has been going on. We'd be foolish to think... It's not here today. There are people, and there are lots of them, who are always ready to lead us away from Jesus to religion, to having to perform instead of receive. And so, Father, we can't worry about what people are going to think. We have to fight. And sometimes we fight, have to fight hard. And thank you that we're going to learn how to do that today from the Apostle Paul. So that we can continue the fight. Not just for our freedom. But for the freedom that will come to those who come after us. So that the message can be preserved. And men can live free until Jesus returns. So this is serious business. Capture our heart and minds. And may we walk out of here equipped for battle. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Let's say it. All right, first of all, the argument from personal experience. Paul's going to ask six questions in these five verses. And his goal is to bring back to their minds the dynamic experience they had when they were born again by faith apart from the law. Look at question number one, verse one. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? One of the things I often do when I study is I look at different translations to see how they translated. I found Phillips. Phillips translated it this way. Oh, you dear idiots. Though I like it, that's not the translation we're going to use. The truth is that Galatians' descent into legalism had nothing to do with their mental capacity. They were not mentally deficient. They were irresponsible. They were not diligent. You might want to circle that word foolish in your Bible. I put this up on the screen for you. It's anoetas. Anoetas is from the word nous, which is mind. The prefix a is negative. And so the idea here is that there is no mind. In other words, Paul could have, should have been translated, oh Galatians, you're not using your mind. This is the same word Jesus used in Luke 24 when he encountered the disciples on the road to Emmaus and he said, oh foolish men, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
You didn't use your mind. If you'd have used your mind and focused on the word, you would have looked at me being crucified and said, that was foretold. Prophecies being fulfilled. Instead, you're discouraged. Because what's happening to the Galatians, they were not testing the spirits of these legalists, looking for the purity of the message of Jesus. They were not being Bereans and searching out the scripture to see if what these people were saying was true. They were not being on guard, as Paul had warned the Ephesian elders, that even from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. The Amplified absolutely nailed this. It was a great translation. It says this, Oh, you poor and silly, thoughtless, unreflecting, and senseless Galatians. That's it. You poor and silly, thoughtless, unreflecting, and senseless Galatians. And it is because they were non-thinking, not using their mind, not looking at the written word, that they allowed themselves to be bewitched. I really don't like that translation. You might want to circle that word. It sounds like there's some sort of sorcery going on. It's much worse than that. Sorcery is easy to detect. This is different. The word is baskino. I put it up there for you. It means charm, flattery, false promises. Listen, my friends, please listen. There are a lot of charming seducers out there that will offer to you a message that will appeal to your emotions. Their goal is to make you feel good. And in an effort, effort to make you feel good, they will tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to know. And they're dangerous. They're dangerous because lies never set anyone free. And they're dangerous, my friends, because of the nature of their message. Say, Frank, what do you mean? Their message, my friends, feels right. Think about it. When they tell us that we need to do on our part, that we need to be good, that we need to follow the law, that we need to, we need to, we need to, it appeals to our flesh and our pride. And in fact, I would dare say that it's normal for us. I mean, that's the way the man, that man has been living ever since the fall, isn't it? performing, achieving, meriting, earning, accomplishing. And so when they come along and say, you know, Jesus, what he did is really great, but now you got to take it from here, that really feels good. Feels right. Well, of course, that's the way humanity does it, especially if you're an American. Grace feels weird. You mean just open my arms and receive? Just, just open my arms and, and say, thank you? And, and I, I don't have to do anything? It's awkward. I can remember back in the early years of bringing grace to this church and people telling me they didn't like the message of grace. Hear this. They wanted to be told what to do. 
And that's an utter failure in faith to trust the Spirit of God to lead you moment by moment. They wanted sight, not faith. Doing nothing but receiving feels wrong. But that's the economy that God established for us as believers. It's the economy that he established way back in the Garden of Eden. Adam was made halfway through the sixth day. His very first day of life is day seven. What did he have to do to enjoy all that God had done? Rest. Receive it. Rest. Now he goes out to work on day eight, but he doesn't go out to work to achieve anything. It's already his. He goes out to work because work is the nature and life of God. God works. God is working right now, according to Colossians chapter one, holding all things together. If he takes a day off, the whole universe blows apart. So yes, we work, but we work from a position of rest because we have received all, Second Peter, all that pertains to life and godliness. In John chapter 1, 11 and 12, God said to them that received Jesus, to them gave he the authority or the right to be called the children of God. God does not say those that perform well are the children of God. Isn't that good news? I'm going to tell you what, I love that good news because my performance is not that great sometimes. That's why we never let Janet have the mic. <laughs> Jesus heralded loud and clear on the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say no one comes to the Father but by keeping the law. Salvation and sanctification are only possible for us by, through Jesus, because those reality in our lives can only be accomplished by God himself. And Paul labored to make sure that the Galatians understood that. Look at verse 1. He says, before your eyes, Jesus was publicly portrayed. Those are key words. Publicly portrayed among you as crucified. Now, how does that compute? This is 20 years since Jesus died. How was he crucified among them? It's very simple. The word publicly portrayed means to hang a banner or hang a poster. In other words, Jesus was billboarded in front of you. Maybe I can help you. It's kind of like those injury attorneys in our city. <laughs> Bombarded so that they are never out of your mind. Paul says, that's what I did for you with Jesus. I billboarded him to you so that he was constantly on your mind. In other words, what I would suggest to you is that Paul was a master teacher. And he was using his mind and his voice and his body language to present Jesus so clearly and so dynamically that as he taught, they could literally see Jesus in their mind on that cross with his thorn-crowned brow and the blood trickling down his face as he laid down his life for them. And that's what makes Paul so incredulous here. You know, we need to see this. He's angry. And we need to understand that because a lot of Christians are mistaken about this issue of anger. And they think that anger is a sin. Anger is not a sin. That's what the Bible says. Be angry. Just don't sin in the process. Why is he angry? You see, Anger is such a powerful emotion that so many times all we see is the anger. But anger is a secondary emotion, meaning it always has a cause. But since anger is so intense, we see the anger, we don't see the cause. You know what the cause is? Love. 
concern. Fear for those he loves. People are attacking those he loves. People are attacking the gospel, which will set those people he loves free. So yeah, he's angry. Rightfully so. And so in essence, what he's saying is, you saw him, Galatians. You saw what he did for you. And now you're going to let some charmer put your hope on what you do instead of what he did? So in verses two through five, he goes on the offensive, rapid fire, question after question, as he seeks to back them into a corner. Look at verse two. I want to know one thing. One thing. You tell me this one thing. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing good works, by keeping the law, or did you receive him as a gift of God through faith? This is huge, my friends. Do not miss this. This is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the book of Galatians. He will be referenced 18 times in the remaining chapters. What is the Christian life about? It's about the Spirit of God. Because the Corinthians says, wherever the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Wherever the Spirit of God is, there is power to live. We don't go back to the law. We've got the person of God himself in the spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that caused us to be born again, John 3. It's the Holy Spirit that washed us and regenerated us with the life of Christ, Titus 3. It is the Holy Spirit that baptized us into the family of God, 1 Corinthians 12. It's the Holy Spirit that affirms to us that God is our Father, Romans 8. Every day of our lives, the Holy Spirit is testifying as if in a court of law, God is your Papa, God is your Papa, God is your Papa. Papa, you are that intimate with him and he is that intimate with you. Why put a law that will separate that intimacy? Are you crazy? It's the Holy Spirit that gives us revelation to know and experience God. Ephesians 3, 1 Corinthians 2. Did you get all this life from the law? No, you didn't. Then why are you going back to the law? Question three, verse three. Are you so foolish? Are you so non-thinking? I mean, we don't even need to comment on that. Question four, verse three. Having entered into life by the Spirit, are you made perfect by the law? The point is that the law didn't bring you life from God, so it will not bring you life as you walk with God. The law does not give life. Remember 2 Corinthians 3, the law kills. Philippians 1, 6. He who began the good work in you, he is the one who will perfect it. The Holy Spirit brought you life and he can be trusted for you to experience it. Question five, verse four. Have you suffered so many things in vain? Suffered is the right translation. If your Bible says that, you've got a good Bible. But it's not a good interpretive translation. The word is pasco. You might want to circle it. It's a word that emphasizes experience in the New Testament, usually hardship or suffering. But in the context of Galatians, there's no hardship or suffering. So it's probably best just to simply translate it experience. So do you see what Paul's saying? Did you experience so many things in vain? You experienced when you put your faith in Christ, the removal of your guilt, the removal of your shame, the removal of your fear with God, the removal of condemnation. You received forgiveness. 
You knew you were forgiven. You received joy and peace. You, you received the glorious knowledge of being accepted. You received the, the glory that you belong. You received the wonder of being made right when for so many years you felt wrong. Do you know how many people I meet who just feel wrong? I'm one of them. For so many years, there's just something wrong about me. And the New Testament comes along and says, I took everything that was wrong and I put it on the cross and I buried you and I resurrected you and you are now right and there is nothing wrong with you. Hallelujah. What about the sheer delight of being loved and the miracle of being able to love other people? You got to experience all that by faith in Jesus. And now you're going to go back to the law? Question six, verse five. Did God who gave you the spirit and provided all those miracles among you, did he do all that through your good works or because you trusted him? Let me put it another way. Think about this. Did God need your works to give you his life? See how ludicrous that is? We are saved, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, by grace through faith, not of works. It's a gift. Not of works, lest any man should boast. God alone gets the glory for giving us life. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. It does not say man works unto righteousness. Now, there's a key phrase there in that verse, verse 5. I want you to look at it. I put it up on the screen for you. God ministered the Spirit and worked these miracles, look at the language, among you. This is a reference to public affirmation, public observation of the radical new life that you now live. As an individual, you experience the life of God in you, provided for you by the Spirit of God, received by faith apart from the law. And other people saw what you experienced. They saw it in your life and now witnessed to it. I couldn't help but think about this as I went through this back into my own life. And going back... 40 plus years to those college days. And the guilt that I was experiencing over how I was living. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me get away. And I found the gospel. Or I should probably say Jesus found me. <laughs> And there was a radical, radical change in life. And my friends saw it. The only problem is they didn't understand it. You know what they told me? It's a phase, Friedman. You'll be back. It's a lifelong phase, baby. How could you ever go back to that which didn't give you life? 
Your life was changed by faith and people saw the change and now you're going to go back to the law? Why would you do that when your life proves that you have life? So that's argument number one. You experience life apart from the law. That brings us to argument number two. Your experience of life by faith apart from the law is biblical. Verses 6 through 14. God in his word says that's how it's supposed to be. Now, my friends, this is very important. Experience is a very important issue for you and I. We don't just want to know about love. We want to be loved. Isn't that right? We don't just want to know about God. We want to experience God. But experience alone is not enough because experience can be unreliable. Think about it. We can feel fear when we're completely safe. We can feel safe when great danger is about to come upon us. How many of you know that we can feel alone and unloved? But the truth is we're never alone and we're never unloved. That's why experience needs to be tested. If our experience, even if it is powerful, does not line up with God's word, then our experience isn't valid. One writer put it this way, subjective experience need to be confirmed by objective evidence. And it's especially true in Galatia since we've got these charming seducers who are challenging the Galatians' experience. These charming seducers are saying, you began well, but now you need the law to go even further. So the Apostle Paul is masterful in these verses. You know what he's saying? All right, legalists, let's test that. Let's go back to God's law and see if it says that we need the law to go on. He's going to give us six scriptures, six proof texts to refute the claim of these religious people that faith was not enough. Let me put it to you this way. In verses 1 through 5, he backed the Galatians into a corner with their experience. Now he's going to use scripture to keep them in that corner. We'll do this rapid fire. Proof text number 1, verses 6 through 7. It's a quote from Genesis 15. God promised Abraham that he would have descendants like the stars of the sky. And what happened? Verse 6, Abraham believed God and God accounted him, keyword, made him, imputed to him righteousness. So God made Abraham righteous by faith. That occurred in Genesis 15. 14 years before the rite of circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. Abraham did not need to be circumcised to be made righteous. Genesis 15 occurred 500 years before the giving of the law of Moses in Exodus chapter 20. Abraham did not need the law to be made righteous. God's word, man is made righteous by faith, not by law. Proof text number two, verses eight and nine. God himself preached the gospel. That's a quote from Genesis chapter 12. And you got to love the language Paul chose here. Gospel. God preached good news to Abraham. What was the good news? That he would justify, make people righteous by faith. Proof text number three, verse 10. You need to understand this one because this one is huge. If you're going to follow the law, you're actually putting yourself under a curse. Quote from Deuteronomy 27 
Verse 26 says this. If you're going to do the law, you've got to do all the law. Break one, you're imperfect. Break one, you're guilty. My friends, the law is not a spiritual cafeteria where you get to pick and choose which ones you want to keep. And deceive yourself into thinking that you're really good because you keep so many. Break one, you're cursed. The law put everyone on a level playing field, my friends, and that field is death and condemnation. And I got to ask, is that what you really want? Is that what you want to wake up to every day? Proof text number four, verse 11. No man is justified by the law. It's a quote from Habakkuk chapter two. The just or righteous shall live by faith. The glory of this radical, simple affirmation became the theme of three of the major books of the New Testament, Galatians, Romans, and Hebrews. All three, quote, the just shall live by faith. Proof text number five from Leviticus 18.5. It's not believing the law that matters. Think about this. How many people look at the law of God and say, isn't it right and isn't it beautiful and, and isn't it holy? I believe that about the law. So do I. So what? Your belief in the goodness of the law means nothing if you don't do the law. Leviticus 18.5. The law says do and you will live. Do it. Good luck trying. Proof text number six, verse 13. The law put us under a curse, but praise God, that's not the end of the story. Look at this verse. Jesus redeemed us from that curse. By hanging on a tree, a cross. Deuteronomy 21, 33. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Do you realize that Jesus became a curse? Verse 14, so the blessings of Abraham being made righteous by faith could be our blessing as well. My friends, we have a mantra here at Grace Life. It's don't ever read the Bible casually. There are hugely significant words here that I hope to stop you and stun you so that you will never, ever be the same. God was made a curse. Can you wrap your brain around that? I, I can't. I mean, I can read it. I can believe it. But I can't wrap my brain around it. The holy living God of the universe became a curse. Look at the next phrase. For us. Wait a minute, God. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Oh, I can see you becoming a curse for Dennis. You know, I, I, I can see you becoming a curse for Don. Becoming a curse for the likes of me. 
You know, it reminds me back when I was a, a young parent. My little girl, Leslie, just idolized her daddy. Her daddy could do no wrong. And one day I, I did something to hurt her. And I went up to and I, I grabbed those little cheeks. And I said, Leslie, honey, your dad was wrong. And she put her hands over her little ears and she said, no, daddy, don't say that. She couldn't handle her daddy being wrong. That's kind of how I feel about this. I'm going to become a curse for you. No, no, Father, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. It's, it's utterly too big for us to comprehend. And as I meditated on the glory of these hugely significant words, there was a verse that began to dominate my mind. It's Ephesians 2.7. I put it up there for you. Context from verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, with great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has made us alive together with Christ by grace. You didn't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't achieve it. You can only receive it. For by grace are you saved. Verse 7, here it comes. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. Did you see it? Did you really see it? Let me read it again. He did that in order that, here's the purpose, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. Let me say it another way. God is going to put us on display for all the universe to see for all eternity as trophies of his marvelous grace. How utterly blasphemous that anyone could think that they could add to the glorious work of God through his son on the cross with their piddly attempt at doing good works in an effort to keep the law in order to bring them life or secure their life with God. How utterly blasphemous to think you could add to the work of Christ. Yet it's going on in churches across the country. MacArthur wrote these words. The cross keeps moving powerfully and relentlessly through history and it will stand forever as living proof that men cannot redeem themselves, that they can only be redeemed by the grace of God through faith. End of discussion. I want to appropriate this. I want to, as we wind down, I want to back you into a corner so that you will never come out of that corner. I want to put a wall of Jesus around you to function like a fortress so that nothing else could ever be added to your pursuit of God other than Jesus himself. 
that it's not going to matter how many initials or doctorates that person may have or how smooth they talk or how big their church is or how they make you feel. You will not allow anybody to ever add to your faith with works. It's a ridiculous illustration, but it's powerful. It's been made clear to us in these pages that there's always going to be spiritual charmers who come to us declaring our need for more, that Jesus is not enough. If you really want to be right, if you really want to experience God, you need this teaching, you need this experience, you need this teacher. One writer pondering this said this. In Galatians, we're talking about how to receive life from God. The New Testament uses the words born again, born from above, child of God. Let's think about a child. In order to be a child, you need two parents. A mom and a dad. You won't get a child any other way. It's the same way spiritually. To be a child of God, we need the Holy Spirit and the truth of Father's Word. Now, when a physical child is born, they're born complete. You don't take them home and then a month later go back to the hospital to get their ears. You don't go back two months later to get their eyes. They're born whole. So it is with us as spiritual children. We are born complete. We don't need to keep getting more and more to make us whole spiritually. My friends, never let anyone tell you that you need more than Jesus. In Jesus, we have it all. Ephesians 1 says every spiritual blessing. And that's because we have all of him. He gave us the fullness of himself. Colossians 1 says we are complete in him. And the better translation, and I love this, we are perfect in him. All my life I wanted to be perfect. And now I got biblical basis to claim it. Stay in the corner of Jesus. Don't let anyone lead you out of that corner. Tomorrow, we will continue this series on Galatians with Pastor Frank's message, The Law Leads Us to Freedom. In the meantime, please share and subscribe and let us know what you think of the series. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.